as we were singing, I was reminded of a conversation I had last night, and we were talking to a good old old timer, and uh, we're talking about music and just kind of, you know, the differences between what the the kids nowadays like and kind of the the good old hymns and. You know, as we, we talk about music and kind of the distinctions as we were singing, I was, I was thinking about, you know, one of the blessings of hymns and, and kind of the hallmarks is they're like mini sermons, you know, whereas the new music is more like, you know, little jingles, you know, they're like little commercials. Um, it's not that they necessarily are wrong um, or have the wrong message, uh, but there's depth there as we we're singing and just being reminded of just how great God's faithfulness is. Uh, It's amazing. And and the hard thing is, is we intersect with life. We intersect with trials. We intersect with pain, suffering, um, confusion. And and we wonder, is God faithful? And, And the truth is great is his faithfulness. We sang a song, you know, the first song, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And, and the story behind that hymn is so amazing of, of a man who's broken and who's lost wife and children. And, and as he's on a ship going, you know, to the funeral, he he's pens the, the words to, It Is Well With My Soul. How, how do you do that? How do you carry on when you seemingly lose everything? Um, it's because of God's faithfulness. Well, turn back with me to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, and I'm going to kind of start at the end. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, quite often when we're studying God's Word and we're trying to understand the context of a passage, the context of a verse, uh, you're at a a pivotal point and then what you need to understand is like, okay, well, what's that context? And you start backing it up. And so you back up a paragraph. You back up two paragraphs. You back up a chapter. You back up like a whole book. You All of a sudden you realize, oh, there's a direct uh, you know, continuation from the Old Testament. And so we, we work backwards a lot. And we work backwards because the totality of Scripture is interwoven. And so there really isn't any backwards. Uh, it, it's all God's Word and it's all God's message, which is why we, we need to have that kind of that meat on our bones. We need to have God's Word as, as meat on our bones. And so when we come to a passage that says, you know, but, well, first of all, that conjunction suggest well there there's something else before that right but this is what i need you to hear this is what i need you to do this is what i need you to understand seek ye first the kingdom of god and then all these things shall be added unto you now keep in mind what we're studying here we're looking at our our study of matthew and, and and jesus is in earnest is this is like the first major um sermon and it's the sermon on the mount and it is loaded Uh, There's, you know, some 20 uh, Christian principles of of daily living and conduct that are that Jesus himself is is directly addressing. He's connecting the Old Testament law, the Old Testament covenant and, and, and flowing it into the New Testament. 
And unlike what so many say about the Old Testament, it's old, it's the law, it's sterile, it's legalistic. Actually, what you see is Jesus doubles down on these principles. It's not just about committing murder. It's about how you think about somebody. It's not just about, you know, committing adultery. It's how you, you think in your mind with lust. He, he doesn't ease up on the law. He, he, he gets even deeper. Um, and so there's a renewal then of the Old Testament in the New Testament with Jesus being uh, the one who, who, who catapults that. Uh, uh, you know, Matthew 5, Matthew 6 then is, is taking these steps and, and heading down to Matthew 6, 33. So when we say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, well, his righteousness includes all these things, you know, being poor in spirit, mourning, being gentle, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart, a peacemaker, right? Those things that we saw in Matthew 5. Um, as, as we move forward, it, we also see, well, well, you've heard, you, you all know, this isn't the first time. You understand that we're, we're called to reconcile with one another. You understand that we're called to not commit adultery. You understand that, that divorce is, is, is not lawful for the Lord. And, and it's an act of adultery to, to, to continue forward as though nothing ever happened. It, it, it speaks about not making O's, but letting your yes be yes and your no be no. That your, your word is, is so golden that everybody in the town, everybody in the neighborhood knows that when you say, I'll do it, when you say something, they all know that guy's character uh, is, 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 is A1. We see later in, in verse 38 of Matthew 5 that you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And again, the Jesus doubles down. And no, it's not an eye for an eye. In fact, if someone you know, smacks you in the cheek, turn the other cheek. Um, verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who, who persecute you. Uh, again, this is, is, is Jesus doubling down on, 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 on the law, doubling down on what true righteousness really looks like. We see in chapter 6, you know, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. We don't do things just to like, you know, get the attention of other people, whether it's giving, whether it's praying. Um, that's, not, that's not why we do things. We, we do the things we do because we worship and adore God. And we're looking to please Him. And so, because of that, we're called to forgive. God has so forgiven us of our sins. Everything you've ever done in secret, in hiding, uh, you know, when you were two years old, all the way up till now, till you're 99 years old. God, God is, is, is forgiven your transgression. God has died on the cross to pay for your sins. And yet you can't let this one little sin go with your neighbor, your brother, your cousin, your husband, your wife. No. By definition, Christians are called to be forgivers. We're called to be devoted. We see that in, in, in fasting even. Uh, and then even when we're fasting and praying and in that time, not to walk around looking gloomy like you're fasting and praying, right? So there's this high calling and this high standard. And so today we're going to look at 
at, at three simple keys to how then we seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Three simple keys to help you seek God first. Seek God first. The first one, by guarding your hearts. <clears throat> the second one, by lighting your eyes. And the third one, by protecting your minds. Uh, and again, th these are direct links. Now we're going to go back and, and go back to, to verse 19. But these are direct links to fighting that anxiety that, look, we all suffer with, right? Uh, we, we call it different things. Uh, we don't usually say it out loud. You don't usually say, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't trust. I doubt. But those are all the same thing. And, and, and when we struggle with being anxious, when, we, when we're fretting over things, well, there, there is a blueprint. There, there is a way to, to be strong. Uh, and before we dive into it, we, we have to understand we have to understand that, that we're in a fight. We're, we're, we're in the fight of our lives, uh, for our lives. And, and there's this constant pull and tension and, and things that were good and decent can turn bad real quick. Right? I mean, we, we think, oh, we're going to go, I'm going to go feed the homeless. I'm going to go get involved. I'm going to go, you know, be merciful. And the next thing you know, that becomes like your, your greatest source of pride and arrogance. I mean, we're always like teetering on this, this tension, this, this tug of war of not only just write out sinful things, but even the good things that we turn into kind of idols of the heart. And so God reminds us, Jesus reminds us, and we saw this just a couple weeks ago, and we have to be on constant guard, constant alert. We can't let our guard down ever. And yet we do. We think, oh, I'm in a good patch. You know, it, nothing bad is happening, so it is well with my soul. But it, it's got to be well with your soul at all times, especially when, when you're under attack. And so we see that Jesus guarded his heart. Uh, like Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart because it's a, a wellspring of life. That, that's how you will live, by, by guarding and protecting your heart. How? Well, with, with the word. We see in Ephesians 6, a great reminder that we're to live lives as though we're under battle, under siege with, with the devil, with the schemes of the devil, with the schemes of the dark side. And so we're to wear our armor. We're, we're to go out ready to go. Uh, we, we wouldn't go, you know, I, I was thinking of, you know, beekeepers, right? I don't quite understand how that works. Like, the bees like know you're their friend and so they don't attack you. You know, it's, it's a weird thing, right? And you see these beekeeper people and, you know, they'll go there and they won't even have the mask or the whatever. They're like, oh, you just do this. And then the person beside them doing the interview is all loaded up. And then a, somehow a bee always gets in there and stings them. And, you know, and meanwhile, there's this other guy and he's got like, you know, a whole thing on his arm and stuff. Or, and, and you're like, well, how, well, it, it, it you know, they, they're, they're so like in tune with the bees <laughs> that they don't even need the armor anymore. Well, that's how the word of God's supposed to surround us, but we're not quite there yet. Right. And so we would not go and play with the bees without all that stuff. In fact, I've seen too many videos already. I'm not even going to play with the bees even with that stuff. Cause I know you're going to get stung no matter what. Um, but why do we live life without our armor? Why do we 
Why do we go in, in battle day to day without being on guard, without being diligent? Um, have we taken for granted that, well, God's just going to take care of it? Um, well, there, there will be conflict in, in your life, I, I promise you. And are you going to be ready? Well, one of the ways we can be ready and one of the ways we can guard ourselves in the first simple step to, to, to seeking God first, because again, remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's like 20-something principles. And so you can understand that like near the end, God says, okay, let me simplify this for you, right? Because did you memorize all 20 of them? Did, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's keep it simple. So the first simple one is to guard your hearts. You got you to gotta guard your hearts. How, how so? Uh, verse 19, well, don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal instead, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, so your heart is, is, is what's on the line there, right? Your heart is what's like being put out there. And, and, and we've got to guard that. We, we've got to protect that heart. Well, what does that mean? Are we talking about like just by having a, a, a breastplate and a shield kind of a thing? We're just guarding from physical arrows? No. We're, we're talking about the internal heart, the cardia. The, the cardia, which we all know, cardiology, right? That's the Greek word for, for heart. And it's, it's the inner heart. It's the, the inner man, the inner character of somebody. That's what we're talking about when, when, when the Bible says guard your heart. It's like guard your inner character. And, and are we shielding and guarding our character? Are we guarding it from the, the music that we listen to? Are we guarding it from the, the TV or the movies that we watch? Or are, are we guarding it from the... The, the politics and the podcasts that we hear, you know, are we being careful, little eyes, what you see? Or are we just, you know, flamboyantly just, you know, running out there like a chicken with their heads cut off? We're supposed to be on guard for our inner character. Why? Well, because we tend to kind of start laying up treasures. We, we, you know, some call them idols of the heart that we, we consider certain things that are earthly, uh, precious and, 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 and priceless. And, and, and those things become more important than, than the things of God. And so scripture says, don't lay up for yourselves those kinds of treasures, the treasures that are on the earth. What kind of treasure? Well, treasures were like moth. A moth will destroy. So like clothes, you know, Gucci, Prada, whatever, you know, polo, 501 jeans, chucks. I mean, it doesn't really every you guys realize, especially as you get older, it's like there's all kinds of waves of like clothing that's popular. So it doesn't have to be, you know, Armani suits, $5,000 Armani suits. It can be $20 shoes that all becomes like a, an idol of the heart. And like, you know, I've got to have those shoes. I've got to have my Air Jordans. You know, I remember when I was a kid, Air Jordans came in and everybody had to have their Air Jordans. And, 
and you know the uh, the cons, the Converse, the Canvas, the Chucks. Um, they were like, oh, those are ghetto. Those are so lame. You know, nobody wanted those. And now, like everybody wears them. Girls wear them with prom dresses for Pete's sakes. I'll never understand that one, but shows that I'm old. But but see, we can lay up for ourselves all kinds of treasure. And literally, a moth, a little moth can come in and go in your closet and and chew away your suit bye bye it's gone you know your favorite blouse your favorite whatever um it's just a weak little moth or or a place where, where rust will destroy you know you have that that sweet ride and you polished it and you you know you chromed it up and you fixed it and then you know you put out in the back and the blackberries come over it and the rust the rust comes and it just corrodes and eats it from the inside out, right? And yet these are the things that we like adore and have to have it and you know need more money and borrow money to go get this stuff. And literally just the natural elements can destroy it, which then makes it worthless and not a treasure. Um, not only that, but thieves can just come these these earthly possessions thieves can just come in and just take it just take it from you um and it's gone see the here here's the thing the the heart is is so open and available for manipulation and and, and we, we we have to just understand that, that there's a danger at all times that at all times, I, I, I picture like a, a corridor and, and, you know, demons, you know, from, from Ephesians 6 with, with like piercing arrows. That's the picture. And they just piercing arrows of nonstop shooting arrows at every angle. One's trying to get you from the front, one from the side, one from the back. And it's just a, 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 a nonstop ons, ons, onslaught of, of spiritual attack from whatever perspective or way they can possibly do. And we act like nothing's happening. Well, <clears throat> we seek first the kingdom of God by, by guarding and protecting our hearts. We have to guard and protect our hearts from, from addictions. You know, a little bit of something, okay. And then all of a sudden we get addicted to it, right? Can't stop eating. Can't get drink enough. Can't do enough. Become addictive behaviors. Our, our passions, hey, you know, you know, one football game on a Sunday, that's cool. You know, foot, five football games every day, not so cool. Um, our hobbies, you know, we let our hobbies get out of hand where the only thing we want to do is our hobby and nothing else matters. The whole family doesn't matter. You've got to be alone, be in your room, spend your money, spend your time to do your hobby. That's where your heart is. Um, love and relationships. Our, our concept and idea of what love is is now so twisted and manipulated. And that's, I mean, one of the best reasons, especially for young people not to watch TV, is, is the way they portray what a loving relationship is is so corrupt, so unbiblical, so wrong. And yet you see that over and over and over again. You think, well, that's what love is. And love is about the physical. Or love is about the emotional. There's nothing about character. There's nothing about being unequally yoked. There's nothing about being wholly devoted to, to God. 
It was like, you, you see any movies last time that that was the, well, you know, uh, I love Jesus and, and God's word. How about you? I mean, wouldn't it be that way? But, you know, all the Hallmark channels, right? The 500,000 Hallmark. I mean, none of them are based on that. Um, but we're not guarding our, ha- our hearts. Well, in 400 AD, uh, uh, one of our, our great theologians, one of our great philosophers of all time, this guy named Augustine, right? Augustine said this. He said, that which you love most is your God. That what you love most is your God. And I remember the first time I heard that, and I was in college and playing baseball, and and boy, did it it hit me right upside the head, which was the thing that I love more than anything is baseball. And my time, my energy, my devotion is all towards that. Baseball is my God. Now, for some, that would be just so immediately silly I mean, how ridiculous, right? But it, but it was. Think about it this way. and Self-examine your own heart, your own mind. Track your time. Track out your time. And outside of, you know, an hour and a half at church on Sunday, if, you know, you were being charged with, with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you based on your time of the things that you do during the week? The time you take, the time, or what about this? What about your money? Where you spend your money? How does that direct? Would I see? Well, you buy a buy an awful lot of fabric at the fabric store. You know, you buy an awful lot of baseball cards at the baseball shop. We'll get both sides, right? Um, it doesn't matter what it is, but but I mean, you think about that. It's like, wow, you know, look, look at your credit card receipts. You know, well, a lot of McDonald's burgers on there. Um, but see, that's what you treasure now. Now keep in mind, look, I understand what we've, we've got to go to work for eight hours, right? And then maybe you have a two hour commute. We're not talking about that. I understand that that's just a big time killer, but, but with that free time, what do you do with that time? Is it spent guarding your heart or is it spent just leaving it open for, for, for the world to, to have at? Well, the second key, simple key that we see here is, is, is to seek God first by, by lighting your eyes, by lighting your eyes. What, what do we mean? Well, verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. So the eye is a lamp. If therefore your eye is clear, well, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, well, how great is that darkness? So, so your, your, your eyes are dark. Well, then it's impossible to move forward without continuing in the darkness, right? Um, lamps are, 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 are so vital and important. You got to remember when this is written, there's no electricity, right? There's no flashlights. There's no like headlamps. There's no street lights. Um, there's, there, there's, there's flickering candles, things like that, right? And so they would have, you know, little devices that would be a lamp. And so our light is to be that lamp, to light up our paths so, so that we can see. That's what lights do. Uh, we, you know, lost power the other night, right? You get a flashlight, put it on, 
cuts the pathway so that you can navigate through the house. It cuts a clear path, a clear direction, so you avoid the pitfalls. You don't stub your toe and you know, because that hurts. You don't ram into the furniture. You don't trip over things. Psalm 119 says 105 says that that you know it light lights our path. You guys spend much time walking around in the dark? No. Because you you don't want to bump into things. You don't want to trip over things. You don't want to stumble. You don't want to fall. So Psalm 119.10 says, why? Why do we light our path? Why, why do we light our path? Why is God's word a light unto our path that lights it? Why is it there? So that we don't sin. So we don't sin against God. So we're, we're seeking righteousness. We're seeking God. We don't want to sin. Well, then light your path. Keep your eyes lighted. So you, not only do you have like a tool, right? It's one thing to have an outside tool to light your path, but God's word saying your, your tool is on your body. It's on your face. It goes with you. Your eyes need to be that, that lamp. And so how does that work? Well, it, it's God's word that's in you then that lights that path, that makes things clear. Now, I was thinking about eyes and different problems with eyes. It's like, well, you know, we, we use all kinds of things. You know, I, I use glasses so that I can, you know, read easier, right? We put glasses on to protect from the sun, sunglasses. In construction, you wear glasses so that, you know, shards of wood and metal don't flick into your eyeball. Um, we have corrective lenses for stigmatism, farsighted, nearsighted, so that we can see better. We we, we realize that a, a tiny little speck, just one little bling, one little tiny speck and you can't even see it, but you feel it. And it's like, you know, Andre the giant, you know, he's, you know, crying, get the, uh, get it out, get it out. Right. You got to get that speck out. It, it, it festers. It, it, it hurts so bad. It, you close your eyes, it waters and what you can't see just one little speck in your eye. Proper vision is, is vital and important. And so not only being able to see, but then having the light that illuminates. And then the, the flip side of that, and the Bible says, so look, the, the body, uh, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, your eye is clear. Your whole body will be full of light. Okay. And, and then the flip side, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, be on guard. Don't allow that to happen. Uh, eyes, bad eyes create problems. Evil lurks in the darkness, right? We, we see the compare and the contrast all the time in the scripture between the light and the darkness. The light is good. The darkness is bad. The light is God. The darkness is, 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 is the devil and, and the evil things happen. That's how, how deceptions take place. You're, you don't see things right, right? We use that kind of terminology. You're, you're just not seeing it the right way. Or it, it's hidden so you don't notice it. That's all part of, of you know, not having a clear path. And when you don't have a clear path, again, you're, you're then susceptible to, to not walking in righteousness. I, I love Matthew 23 and, and how 
Jesus describes the Pharisees, the people who are supposed to be the men of God, the people who memorize scripture, the people who are supposed to be the, the ones who are bringing light to the world. He looks at him and says, you are blind guides. So, you know, that's, it's the idea that we get the blind leading the blind. You would never have a blind guy walk you across the street, right? Or a blind guy walking another blind guy across the street. Uh, we, we, we want our eyes open. We talked about this last week. Uh, you know, the, the, the ironic concept of our, our new social justice culture of being woke, right, comes from the idea of, well, we get it. We're, we've been awakened. We can, we can see what's really happening in the, the old system. And, and that's what they're claiming when they're saying they're, they're woke. Well, they're not woke at all. In fact, they're, they're, they're misled. They're, they're misguided. And, and they're walking in the darkness. And because they, are, they have bad eyes, then every step from there, every thought from there, the concept and the idea is bad. That's why, while there are well-intentioned ideas and concept, they're in the dark. And so they're not woke at all. They're, they're dark and dead. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. Just a great reminder. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. They're in the dark. But to us who are saved by its power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. See, they think they're wise. They think they're clever. They think they're in the light, but they're not. They're in the dark. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. In fact, the philosophy and the psychology of the world is by definition leading you away from God. It's a complete contradiction. It, it's, it's proclaiming to be wise through man's understanding, leading people away from God's word and away from God. God was well-pleasing through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, laws ask for signs, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. God's silly foolishness, foolishness, right? That, that, you know, there's a husband and a wife, a male and a female. That is so silly and ridiculous. Is it? Or is it so now extremely above wisdom and above human concept that what should be simple is now complex and God yet again reigns as supreme of being the right one. Um, and all the other stuff just becomes silly nonsense. Well, the, the eye is, is critical. The eye is critical. It, it's, it's what we see. It's how we walk. It's what we understand. And, and we're being instructed to here to make sure your eye is a light for, for goodness, not for darkness. 
Uh, in Matthew 5, we see how important this is to Jesus. And the analogy here, the analogy, this, this isn't literal, but it's an analogy um, of how, how serious he is. Verse 29, Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body be thrown into hell. Um, pretty clear. Pretty clear with the contrast here. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better that one of your parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And, and, and what Jesus is saying here is, listen, take this seriously. If your eye is the source of the darkness, tear it out. Um, and again, I believe this is, is, is an analogy and, and not literal, but, but it's supposed to be serious. It's supposed to make you think, wow, um, I don't think he's messing around. Well, the third simple key to seeking God first is by protecting your minds. And you see here that these are all related, right? They're, they're, they're all related. Um, guarding your heart by guarding your eyes is what protects your minds, right? They're, they're, they're all connected together. And so how do we protect our minds? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. No one can serve two masters. See, we, we live in a, in a era now where we hear these, these words like we, we need to be inclusive. We need to be united, right? These are like the, the esteemed phrases and concepts, but people aren't really thinking about what does that mean? When you talk about, you know, the world being united together, well, the world is a big place. There, there's a lot of different belief systems. There's a lot of different cultural. There's a lot of different uh, just ways of living. Uh, the idea that the whole world could even be united is crazy. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, just, just think of all the different r religious ideas. When you take the religious ideas, well, two opposing views can't both be right. You, you can't have belief systems that, that are narcissistic and hedonistic and just tell people to pursue personal pleasure, pursue yourself, you know, only care about yourself, and then have a religion that says be selfless, serve others, deny yourself. These are two completely opposing views. But the world is, is in, in the world driven by uh, the demonic driven by the devil's idea says, no, 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 no. You can serve two masters. We, we can all get along. We, 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 can, we can make this work. No, you cannot serve two masters. You, you take refuge in one. And so this is the biggest decision that you're going to make. 
The biggest decision you're going to make is choosing the right master. Who will you follow? Are you going to follow the God of science? Hey, we didn't make that distinction. Remember, the, the innovation of science was directly tied in with an understanding of God back in the day. It's not anymore. Science has proclaimed itself to be the authority and has removed God. Um, same thing I mentioned earlier with philosophy. The whole point and purpose of philosophy is to remove God. The whole point and purpose of psychology is to remove God. We have things like hedonism, which is when you study your old Greek mythology and your old Greek ideas, it's crazy how all of these same things are coming right back around. It's just repackaged and put in a different name. But if people would really walk around and be like, yeah, I'm a hedonist. But he, what? But they don't say it that way, right? Um, but, but again, I, and I remind you that don't, it, it's not Christians. It, it's, it's the world who's being very clear. You cannot serve both of us. That's why when you major in science, when you major in philosophy, when you major in psychology, guess what book they don't use? Guess what they throw out at every turn? God. They're the ones that are saying, you can't serve two masters. And then we've got Christians on the other side who think you can. It doesn't make any sense at all. We're trying to play nice-nice with, with the enemy. When we're clearly called to guard our hearts, we're clearly called to be careful of, 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 of our eyes and what we see to, to protect them. And the truth is, the way we protect our minds is, is at the the first point of interaction of picking the right master and then following him. We, we got to follow the master. Uh, I, I, I can never get the picture out of my mind. Uh, I don't know if it's a good or a bad. My wife would probably say it's bad, but the, the idea of, you know, Anakin Skywalker's conversion. Uh, it's a great scene. It's especially, you know, I'm old school. You know, I saw the, the original Star Wars, episode four first, you know, and, you know, and then don't even get me going on that. And, and so we didn't know, like, who Darth Vader was. We didn't know that his kid was Luke. We, know, we didn't know any of this stuff. We didn't know that Darth Vader's real name was Anakin. I think we all know that now. But we go back in time. We have, you know, prequels and all that kind of stuff. And then we, we get to finally see how does sweet little boy Anakin turn into the mean Darth Vader who's evil, you know, and this and that. And we see, well, the source of that is, well, his love for his wife. He, he just loves his wife. Is that wrong? He just wants to save his wife's life. Is that wrong? And, and the only thing he has to do is bow the knee before the throne of the evil emperor. He can't serve the Jedi and the emperor both simultaneously. He has to choose. He has to choose. And the reason why I like that scene is because he unequivocally understands what's being asked of him and he knows what he's doing. He knows that he's, in order to save my wife's life, I'm going to reject the Jedi. And once I reject the Jedi, 
I am 100% in on the dark side. And he falls to his knee and looks up at the epitome of evil. And he says, what is thy bidding, master? Proclaiming, you are now my master. I serve one master. And that's then the story of Darth Vader. Well, he gets it. Do we get it? Do we get it? We, we, we think we can, oh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be over here because, you know, the, the emperor goes to cool shows. You know, remember the show they went to? And then he goes, well, we've well, we got to go over here because I like being a good guy and fighting and defending good stuff. And so and I'm a pretty good pilot and good fighter. And, and it's like, that's what we do. We, we want to go like back and forth. And may, maybe I can make the emperor nice. Maybe I can convert him. You, you got to go like the whole thing with Star Wars because it's really a whole other religion thing, which is funny because they don't really make any qualms about it. But here's the deal. Scripture is clear. You, you can't do that. You, you got to pick. Understand this. Understand the devil is deceptively clever. Do not underestimate the power of the dark side. Do not underestimate that. False religions, deceptive doctrines are out there. And some of them are little tiny little landmines. Others are, are bigger and easier. Yeah, you know, the, the devil coming to you as a big giant fire breathing dragon. Follow me. Probably not going to happen. No, he comes to a young man as a beautiful young lady with the adulterous lips, right? As described in, in Proverbs. Or he comes to you in a very clever commercial during the Super Bowl when all you're trying to do is watch some good football and avoid the halftime show. And he comes to you in this commercial and, and showing these pictures in images and at the end saying he gets us yeah that's right we're back to that those commercials again and the pictures in there are at best half truths i i i i i will grant that they're trying to accomplish something good they're trying to bring awareness that that it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what sin there is that god is a saving god that god doesn't come to seek and destroy those people he comes to save those people and it doesn't matter if your hair is blue or you have no rings or tattoos or any of that stuff does not matter that jesus christ came to transform lives but lives need to be transformed they don't stay that way and that's the image that those pictures give. Well, he gets us. He gets it. Well, you know what he gets? That you need to repent. But that's not the image that they show. Instead, they show an acceptance of essentially the top sins that we're in a battle for right now as though, no, it's okay. In fact, Jesus, he gets it. Um... Very deceptive, very deceptive. You have to serve one master. You have to be all in. Again, the idea of the polytheistic, all the religions are the same. If they would just come out and say that, we believe in polytheism. Then you would say, oh, yeah, I know that's bad. 
They don't say that. We believe in the unification of the church. Oh, yeah, that's, of course we want Christians to unite. But on the right thing, not, not on, 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 on half-truths. The scripture says, look, um, you can't serve two masters. If, if you do, then, then you'll hate one and, and love the other. Or, or despise one and, 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 and not the other. So, so the hate turns into despising, turns into rejection. Whereas the love turns into holding on and, and clinging to the truth. 1 John 2.15 is perfectly clear that, that you're, you're not to love not only the world or the things in the world, right back to storing up the treasures, right? And you don't love the world. You don't love the things in the world. That love, it's not from God. Don't be confused. Don't get hung up on the things here. And then he kind of wraps it up with, and by the way, um, just so that we're clear, you can't serve God and mammon, which is riches or, or money. J just to make, make that a specific point. You can't serve God and money. What, what, is it, what does that mean? It means being in that kind of that hot pursuit, that, that, that deep, that, like the internal, the desire where, where you're driven by your heart's passion to, to love money. Okay, so let's be clear. Um, there are wealthy people who love Jesus, but, but that's not the driving force of their life. Um, the Lord might bless you with a lot. He might bless you with a little. How you earn it, how you spend it, how you treasure it is what changes the whole complexity over what you serve. There are plenty of godly people who have made a lot of money and serve the Lord because they've made a lot of money and use that money to support ministries. So it's not just an issue. It's not just an issue of like, because somebody has money that they're, you know, worshiping money or serving money. Don't, don't be that simplistic. Well, we're called to not be anxious. We're called to not worry about tomorrow. We understand that tomorrow will happen. Whether I worry or not worry, tomorrow's going to happen and I don't know what it's going to be. And so, Jesus goes into this, this, this picture of, well, think of it this way. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Because we're, we're worried, right? We're worried about, about how we're going to pay the bills, how we're going to clothe ourselves, food, clothing, shelter. We're, we worry. We're worrying about that. We're becoming anxious. We're allowing it to become anxious. We're allowing our, our desires of the flesh that want more of it. We're also allowing just the, the seeing other people flourishing and, and being covetous and anxious with that. And so all these different things come into conflict and Jesus says, look, look, look. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, neither do they reap. They're not out there planting the harvest, right? 
Um, nor do they gather all the food and the grains in the barns, and yet their Heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than them? You think what's happening to you right now is so bad? God loves you. God, God is taking care of you. God, God will make sure that, that, that you don't fall down to ruin. Why? Because you're worth more than birds. And He takes care of them. And, verse 27, which of you being anxious can add one cubic to his lifespan? It's not going to help. And why are you anxious about clothing? Well, this is crazy. This is written over 2,000 years ago. They're worried about clothing? I thought they all just walked around in, in robes, right? And they had like one. And it's like, this comes right out of our book today. I mean, we, you know, stain something, wash it wrong, clean it wrong. And, you know, we get all hyperactive about our clothing or it's not as pretty and nice as somebody else or designer this or designer that. Why are you, ang why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. Flowers, they don't toil or do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass, forget the flowers. Well, okay, flowers are beautiful and pretty. Let's talk grass now. Just lame grass. Grass that will turn into weeds that will ultimately burn, right? If God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more do so for you? Oh, men of little faith. Such little faith. God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. You may not be able to see it right now, today, but men of little faith, look, the Lord takes care of birds, of lilies, of grass. He's got your back. He's got your back. Have some faith. Verse 31, don't be anxious then. So don't be anxious. Don't fret about what you should eat, about what you should drink, or with what you should clothe yourselves with? Do you not understand? Do, do you not get it that verse 32, all these things the Gentiles do? This is what the unbelievers are focusing on. It's the unbelievers who store treasures on earth. It's the unbelievers who are walking in darkness. It's the unbelievers who are serving two masters. It's the unbelievers who are anxious and fretting over silly things like food, clothing, shelter. Don't be like them. You have a different father. You have a different master. And your heavenly master knows. God knows you need all this. He's watching. He's watching. So with all that in mind, with all that in sight, now, verse 33, now, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. So stop everything. I don't know what to do. This is what's happening in my life. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm, stop. You know what you do? Seek God first. Worry about God first. That other thing, whatever it is, that's on the back burner. Seek first the kingdom of God and 
not just thinking heavenly minded, not just thinking, look, my ultimate goal is to get to heaven. Not just that, but also his righteousness. We're, we're called to live in obedience. We're, we're called to live and, and, and show fruit. And when you do those things, when you're seeking first the kingdom of God, and, and when you're seeking first his righteousness, not your game plan, his, when you're guarding your hearts, when you're lighting your eyes, when you're protecting your minds, then you'll let all these things will be added unto you. You'll be okay. So, verse 34, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious for tomorrow. Uh, Yoda's, might as well stick on the Star Wars thing, right? Yoda thinks he's pretty smart. My dad's a lot smarter than Yoda. Maybe not as tall, but he's, he's, he's smarter than Yoda. I remember my dad growing up saying, hey, it's not a problem till it's a problem. Now think about that. You know what? Don't be anxious about tomorrow. You're treating this problem as though it's the biggest problem you've ever had. And it's a, a, a big, hairy, audacious problem. And you know what? It's not even a problem yet. It's all conjured up in your brain. Why don't you wait until tomorrow? And then if tomorrow it becomes a problem, then it's a problem. You know how often it's not a problem tomorrow? Maybe God takes care of it or it fizzles away. Don't be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. And understand this, and some of you know this very well, especially if you're older. You got a whole laundry list of problems today and there'll be a whole new one tomorrow. So you know what? Let's just deal with today. Well, let's get through today. And, and, and like the word says, we'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. But first, 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 we're going to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, his righteousness. Everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place. And no matter what happens, I pray that it's, 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 it's our belief, it's, it's, it's our, for each and every one of us, our family's motto that, you know what, no matter what happens today, as for me, in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to still follow the Lord, no matter what. Joshua said that in Joshua 24, 15. As for me, in my house, we're going to, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else take care of itself. Let's pray.